Welcome to Coon Hunt University Podcast. This is your host, Mason Bush. Class is now in session. Hey guys, next time you're in the market for some new hunting supplies, head on over to Conkey's Outdoors. Whether it's a light, boots, dog leash, garment, or any other kind of hunting accessories, they can take care of you. Conkey's is a family-owned business that strives on excellent customer service and guarantees fast delivery every time. The next time you're over in Hastings, Florida, stop by or give them a call at 904-692-1568. Thanks. Today I have Barry Kitty. We're uh, Vicksburg, Mississippi bound to the pro hunt. Try to tree some coons. Hope we have a little luck. How you doing, Barry? I'm doing good. Doing all the driving, all the talking, all the work. Bush just gets all the credit, guys. <laughs> On the road with Kitty and Bush. <laughs> Kitty's truck, Kitty's gas, Kitty's time. Bush credit. Hmm. That's the way it's supposed to be, ain't it? That's the way it works with you and Fergie. <laughs> Fergie Jr. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I'm doing good. Feeling good. A little sore on my leg. I kicked a stump yesterday trying to get some leaves moved. It's, but I'm going to tough it out. Last time you hurt your leg, I had to get in the ball game. I seemed to hurt it right the day of a hunt or the day before one. I hurt something. <laughs> well, uh... I know Colton and a few others said they want you back on and want to hear a few different stories, some, some Pettigrew stories. So I figured while we was headed down the road, this would be a good opportunity to, to listen to them. So, uh, I mean, you talked a little bit last weekend about your dad. He didn't really coon hunt too much, but he was pretty good about getting a dog to tree, tree squirrels and uh, point birds. So... Let's start out with that and just tell us a little bit about your dad and how that came about. Well, my dad, most people knew my dad is J.R. Kitty. His name was O.J. Kitty, but I don't know if he knew that until he was 40-something years old when he, he finally got a birth certificate. Um, his dad's name was James Robert, so they always called my dad J.R. Uh, everybody still... That, you know, he's been passed away since 2015, but all the old people around will still call him JR. But uh, he was a unbelievable dad. He was a great teacher. Uh, I, I remember going and watching the, to get a hunter safety course for Colton. And I, you know, I didn't have to get a hunter safety course to get a hunting license at the time, but I, I remember watching that video and and thinking, my my dad could have taught this video. He he told me everything there was to do in this in this video. I mean, I wasn't allowed to put a, a bullet in a gun until I seen the squirrel. It was just like Barney Fife on the Andy Griffith show. He he wouldn't let Barney put the bullet in until he needed it. <laughs> and I. You know, but I was just 10 and 10 to 12 years old, squirrel hunting, and 
my dad would, had great patience with a kid or with a hunting or with a dog. I didn't, I didn't develop that patience uh, that, that he had, but he, he had unbelievable patience. So they would, I never knew of him to buy a dog, even bird dogs. He always had some of the best pointing bird dogs there was. Uh, and it's usually something somebody gave him or he might've give a hundred dollars for one, but uh, usually something that had a problem and then he would put in the time to fix that problem and, and he'd have a good bird dog. We always had beagles, so run rabbits. He, I mean, straight beagles, they'd just do a great job. But my dad worked for himself. He was a self-employed logger. He had usually one or two helpers or worked by himself. Uh, that's what he did. Uh, he never owed anybody. He, he built his house. Uh, I think his payments on his house was $33 a month, and he paid that off pretty quick, and to my knowledge, he never borrowed another dollar. Now, he could have been rich from the farms that they lost in the family, and or if he'd have borrowed money to have bought some farms for five to $10,000 that brought $100,000 10 years later, but he would not go in debt. He, he if he had, $100 in his billfold and didn't know anybody. He was the happiest man in the world, but he couldn't stand that. But but patience, he he had. So there would be an old dog come up in the yard, and next thing you know, he'd go to working with it and see whose dog it was. And, and he'd have it treeing squirrels just in, just in no time. We had a red dog there that was, I mean, as good a squirrel dog as you ever went with. But... He was always that way from a kid. He he trapped and and fished. He didn't have to go to the war. Uh, both his older brothers went to the World War II. He he was just a little younger, and uh, he used to say the they asked me to watch after their girlfriends, and and I did. But uh, anyway, he. Probably not in the way he they attended. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of the way he meant it. Meant it. <laughs> uh, but they uh, he trapped mink and bobcats. There wasn't any coons. Uh, one or two coons a year. If back then, if they, if they treat a coon, that was a that was big year. Uh, you know, but possums always. He'd trap possums, they'd carry them home and feed them for about a week and uh, feed them corn and and then, then kill a possum and eat him. Cause they didn't have nothing. They grew up in the Great Depression, lived in a two room log house. He had, uh, he had three brothers and two sisters. So I guess there's six of them. His mom, dad, <clears throat> and but uh, he had an old red dog, and he used to tell when he was a kid about stories of how he trained that dog. He would, he'd run rabbits in the daytime. He, if you wanted him to run rabbits, he'd tree squirrels. Uh, the dog, he would guard him at night. He said, if I laid down in the woods in the night or whatever, he, he would sit there by me and guard me. Uh, he would tree a possum at night. Also, he was so smart that he said there, the den trees around there were, they, 
where they lived, he knew where every den tree was. It was a big poplar den and a, a big a big red oak den. And he said he could be on the porch and the dog knew when he was gonna go hunting. So he would just take his hand and give him a gesture to go. And the dog would run down through the woods on this end of the woods where he knew the squirrels might be. He would, he would leave barking just barking every breath, how, 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 just barking all through the wood. Then he would shut up and he would run to the den tree and and sit there and be quiet. And as the, as the squirrels come running into the den tree, he would catch two, three, four squirrels and kill them. He'd catch one and kill it and drop it, catch another and kill it and drop it before they ever went squirrel hunting. He, he knew he was so smart, he, he knew exactly how to get them to run and they'd They'd run, they'd run into him over there and him hid at the den tree. Hmm. That's impressive. <laughs> uh, I remember him telling about going coon hunting. He didn't coon hunt much, but I remember my granddaddy, uh, Bearden, on my mother's side, he, he hunted. He, I'm the only grandchild that hunted that I know of. Uh, none of his sons coon hunted, none of his grandsons coon hunted but me. And I'd go and listen to him, and he, man, he loved to, to listen to my stories and tell him. He, I love him tell his stories. But uh, one night I remember they went and they carried the preacher with them. He he wanted to go hunting, and and I remember they treed across a, a good sized creek, and he, the preacher weighed about 250 pounds, and he didn't have on any boots, and it was in the winter time, and. I remember my dad said he, he got him on his back. Uh, a preacher got on his back and they made it across that creek, got him over on the dry side. And they got over there and they had a coon tree and didn't have nothing but lanterns and, and carbide lights. And they'd shoot up there and they didn't, they hit the coon probably in the foot or the leg or somewhere and the coon would go to, the coon went to hollering and crying up there. And the preacher went to crying. And and he said it was just, he said, you never heard nothing like the coon crying and the preacher crying on the bank. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> he said it was, a, it was a sight to see. <laughs> mm. But later on then, uh, a boy gave a, my sister a red bone pup that she was younger than me and he gave her that pup on the school bus and my dad got her to tree it and he carried her coon hunting a couple of times they wouldn't let me go i was too little i guess and they they uh she was treeing some possums and she would tree a squirrel she was a good tree dog a little red light red female we called her floppy because i guess her ears were floppy and uh, we bred her my dad did a lot of logging and John Clayton worked for the electric company and he, his, his uh, father-in-law was Milton Strain that won the world hunt with a woodpecker, red bone male. And he had a red bone male out of woodpecker that he said wasn't a very good dog. But well, anyway, my dad said, it don't matter, the blood's there, we'll, we'll, we'll breed them. So we bred them and had a litter of pups and they were 
I hunted them for two, three years, and not one, not one time did they tree a coon. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, we named them just like they, you know, sledge and, and uh, shorty and white nose, and but it was awful at that time. And uh, I, man, I wanted I'd got an American Cooner too, and I'd read it from book to book, and I, I wanted to tree a coon so badly but uh it never did that never did happen i remember going to a a water race they had not far from the house where you put coon on a uh, cable and uh and put all these dogs in there and it's a swim race and they open that open the gate up and we my dad said he's having one over there and we we went to it and there was this old Walker dog that uh, he was slow getting across that lake, but when he hit that pole on the other side, he was every breath tree dog. And I thought, man, I'd like to have something like that. Just so my dad hit him up. I think he wanted $150 for him. My dad ended up trading him a, a single shot, 20 gauge shotgun for him, and we got him home and. He wouldn't do nothing. But if if you told him to tree there, or if you had something, uh, a dead coon or a dead possum or a coon tail, he would tear the tree down. He would stand there and tree for all day and all night, but you had to show it to him. You know, that was, that was my first deal with coon hunting. Uh, we were talking earlier, you said you was probably 18, 19 year old. You, you had made a cross. Uh, what was it? Yeah, the first coon that I remember treeing is I went hunting. The neighbor moved in up there. His name was Bobby Hopkins. And he had an old dog called Amos. And he lived about a half a mile from me. So I'd go up there and talk to Bobby all the time. He said, well, come go hunt with me. So. I did, and Gordon Smith uh, from Adamsville went along. Gordon always probably kept a pretty good dog, but Gordon had a real good tree dog, a little female, but we went hunting that night, got in the middle of them in a single cab new truck that Gordon had, and uh, I remember going, filling up with gas. My excitement over going coon hunting that night was unbelievable. And, we cut them loose, and I remember the the old Amos dog getting struck and pretty well taking that track in there and, and uh, locating. And when he did, that little female of Gordon, she just fell on that thing. Boy, and it sounded like music. I mean, it was beautiful. Went in there and had a coon, and seemed like we treed one more. And I went to hunting with them. I didn't have a dog. So I went to hunting with them some. And, and Bobby had bred old Amos to a blue tick female that Morris Carruthers had from Adamsville. And he said, uh, Morris kept a female. But he said, he's quit hunting. You might could buy her. So I went over to Morris's and ended up buying her for a little nothing. $100 maybe. She didn't know nothing. Uh, I went by, 
it was a place in Savannah called Kentucky One Stop. And I went in there and one day and they were selling wheat lights and they had a used one in there for $50. And I bought it. Uh, it wouldn't stay up but about two hours. Uh, I ended up getting a new battery and putting on it, but I thought I was uptown. I had a wheat light and I had a dog. And I, I kept, I kept hunting her. Um, she really didn't do much with with dogs. All of a sudden, she, she got to getting off by herself and and running. And and I remember the first time she treed. Uh, I didn't even really know she was treed. Jackie Joyner was with me, and he said, "Your little female's got a triple chop locate." Well, I never had paid attention to that. She, how 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 how. She, she was treed. We went to her, and she had a she had a coon. And boy, I went to hunting her, and she was a she was a good little track dog, run off and leave dogs, and 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 then give you that triple chop locate. You had a coon sitting in there. She came in heat, and Bobby talked talked me into breeding her back to her dad, Amos. I didn't even really know nobody else much had any dogs. I didn't know what to do, so I, I bred her back. And I had a, I don't think she had but two. And it was a, a blue male and a, and a little walker female. Uh, blue and Susie was their names. And I went to hunting them, and uh, we didn't have no tracking collars or no nothing, but the blue dog made a, a really nice tree dog. I mean, forevermore tree dog. But me and Alan Waller went hunting one night. He would call every so often. I graduated high school with him, and he'd call and say, you want to go hunting? I said, yeah, and he'd say, I'll come over and go with you. He never had a coon dog. He, he had squirrel dogs, and me and him hunted as a kid. Uh, but he, uh, it was, it got up windy that night. I remember it come a big storm about 10 o'clock. And Bess, that was her name, her and those two pups, I carried them all three. And they were gone and no tracking collar, no nothing. So I carried Alan home about midnight and I went back and it was pouring down rain and, and I couldn't find them. I finally come home about four in the morning, left me a coat laying there. I looked for them that weekend, drove all around that country. And finally on Sunday, got a phone call. I had a, my name on the collar. Somebody from Memphis, Tennessee, and they didn't tell their name. That They said, I, I was deer hunting and I seen your dogs. They're laying in the woods over there at a deer hunting camp. They've been shot. So, man, I was tore up. I got my dad and we we drove over there to that deer hunting camp. It was on Sunday evening. It was about nearly dark. And when I did, there was a, the blue male. He was there at the, at the camp house. So I got him and loaded him up and we just got to walking back in those woods. Uh, the guide sort of gave us a little bit of description of 
there was an old road that ran through there and it's way off to the left, three or 400 yards off that road in there. You know, nobody had no GPSs, no anything. But somehow or another, we walked right up on both of those dogs shot. Both of them were shot in the chest. Both dogs had to have been standing looking at them because they were both shot straight in the chest. Uh, I was so mad, I was so tore up. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I called the club, you know, the deer hunting club, and tried to have meetings and different situations. But, uh, never did really find out anything. I had friends, you know, tried to do some things. And, uh, I don't know, I know there for a little while, they, Maybe he he did do a few things. They think they'd they'd find an old dog collar hanging up around their clubhouse there every now and then. And I heard the clubhouse burn about a year later than that, but uh -oh. I don't really know. <laughs> I don't know a lot about that. I know this has been 40, 50 years ago. I'm talking about. Yeah, statue limitations. <laughs> I, hope it did. I didn't have anything to do with it, <laughs> but but I had friends that it, it tore them up for them killing my dogs back then. You know, you killed a man's dog. It was an eye for an eye. It, you know, nobody do that back then. Yeah. Uh, Shouldn't do it now, but that put me out. That put me just with old blue. And uh, I ended up selling him later on, but I, to Cliff Anglin's dad from Scotts Hill, Ted Anglin. I bought an old dog, Little River Mike, from him that was seven years old, and he was a good dog. Uh, he was went back to Ronnie Reed's dogs out of Parrish, Tennessee, Reed's Mike. And he was a good dog, and, and I ended up selling Blue to Ted Anglin, and he hunted him. He hunted him for a long time. That was uh, that's pretty well my start of of coon hunting right there. Well, you said Lawrence. You met him early on in life. You and his son, his son or grandson? Grandson started school together. Tell us a little bit about how all that came about. Well, Lawrence Pettigrew is an icon in this country and, and all over. If you ever met Lawrence Pettigrew, he was known like first name Lawrence or Pettigrew, either one. If you say Mike or Jordan, you thinking Michael Jordan, okay? You can say Mike, Michael, or you can say Jordan. You can say LeBron. You could say Lawrence or you could say Pettigrew because <laughs> if you met him, that 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 was it. But. But I guess uh, <clears throat> the first time deal with a dog was I'd bought a young dog off of right after Blue. And while I had Mike, I thought I might train a young dog. I bought a young dog named Ghost. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But Lawrence, uh, I had heard about him, which Marty Pettigrew, I, I started the first grade of school with Marty and all through 12 grades marty was a he was a good one he was a good friend of mine and and we spent the night i spent the night at his place he spent the night at my place uh, you know time was in the fifth or sixth grade probably uh, marty 
Marty was a lot like Lars. He he could he could get something done. Now he could pull a he could pull something off that nobody else in the world could pull off. Uh, I know. I think we was in the eighth grade, and he had a party at Lawrence's camp house. I think there's 20-something girls and 20-something boys in the eighth grade stayed at this camp house. And, and I believe Marty went around to everybody's parents assuring them the chaperones and everybody <laughs> that would be there. And there was not one chaperone. There was 50 kids at this house all weekend and nobody, nobody there. It, it was uh, unbelievable. but. I remember spending the night with Marty in the, about the fifth or sixth grade. It, it was a different now. I mean, my house was, it was a strict situation. We get over there, it's a, it's different. Marty and them were driving at 12 years old. They had, their, they had an, an old car out there they could just drive. Lawrence kept horses out there, so my first experience riding horses was out there. Um, but I'd spent the night with Marty and he, was supposed to help Lawrence do something. We were still in the bed early that morning and probably nine or 10 o'clock for us. But I remember Lawrence beating on the door and my mother had come to get me and Lawrence was out there with a horse whip. And as Marty got his clothes on and headed toward the barn, he was popping that whip right behind him. I know it made my mother mad. That was my first time of really ever seeing Lawrence Pettigrew. Uh, I thought, man, I don't, glad my parents or grandparents ain't like this, but, but that was my first experience of that. And, and then really the next time was I had bought a dog out of, there was a really good line of red tick dogs here, uh, English dogs, Hatchie River dogs. It, Mike Dillon and his dad, Willie, had raised. And Jackie Joyner had some of them. The Wilsons, Jimmy and John Wilson, had some of them. And, and, uh, is this the same line that uh, Mary Reagan still keeps? I would say more than likely probably goes back to some of that uh, that Mary has. They were amazing uh, mouths and unbelievable tree dogs, track dogs. Uh, red and blue tick, but they registered English. The Hatchie River line is what they were called. So I don't really know what Murray's um, foundation goes back to, but it, but it may. Uh, old Jim was an amazing dog, and this, this pup was out of Jim. Now these guys traded these pups all the time. They One of them would have Ghost is the one that I ended up with. He was an English, but he was white. If, if he was wet, he looked a little bit red tick, but if not, he looked white. Uh, and I got that pup. I bought him off of Jackie for $100 or $150, Jackie Joyner. And I went to hunting him, and, and he went to running and treeing. And I could take him by himself, and he would go hunting in the country and strike and tree and tree a coon. Uh, I'd never sold a dog for no money. Uh, well, Lawrence Pettigrew heard that I had a good started young dog. He was about 18 months old. I'd had him about four months and I'd give a hundred for him. I believe I priced him to Lawrence uh, for $800. I was making $4 an hour at the time. So 
40 hours a week. Uh, that's over a month's work, $800. He said, can I go hunting with him? I said, yeah. It was in January and it was cold night and we cut ghost three times. He went hunting good, struck good, treed good, had three den trees. He said, I don't know, that dog may be treeing squirrels or something. I said, well, he may be. I said, but I've been seeing a lot of coons, but I said, that's fine. Well, he didn't buy him that night. Well, first thing the next morning, he called me and then tried to Jew me, you know, offered me 500 and oh, if I breed him, uh, Lawrence never did finish a sentence. I, he'd say, I will, I mean, I will. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> you had to really put the rest of the sentence to it a lot of times. <laughs> but he said, let me give you 500 and then 600. You know, finally I just, Lawrence, I priced you that dog last night. I've never sold a dog. I don't really want to sell this dog. It'll take $800 now to buy him. And if you don't buy him now, then I'm not going to sell him. He said, he's mine if he's dead when I get there. Okay, I bought the dog. On the phone, he said, he is mine if he's dead when he gets there. I've got your $800. I'm, I'm on my way. So I'll never forget them words, he said. Uh, I, I guess he'd have paid me if, if I'd have went out there and killed him. Uh, he still said he had $800. So he bought him and... So I went to hunt with Lawrence, uh, man, and the dog did really get a lot better under Lawrence. He he really hunted a lot better. He, he everything about the dog got better, and we we got to hunt a lot. And Mike Ferguson got to hunting with us some, and and uh, next thing you know, Lawrence has sold him like he does anything. It's any good. It, I, he probably I think he got about around $3,500 for the dog, and I, I learned a valuable lesson. <laughs> but it, you know, everybody was, oh, you hunt with Lawrence, you hunt with Lawrence. It's like it was a, something that I ought not be doing. But I'd get a valuable lesson every time I went. It was, uh, he would be teaching me about training a dog, you know. Uh, these guys would be shaking coons out and rerunning them and doing a, he'd say, no, no, don't you ever shake a coon out of a tree. You want a coon to fall out dead. Don't never leave a, don't never let a dog leave a tree barking. He said, if these other ones, then if another one leaves barking, yours ain't gonna stay cause he thinks he's jumped a coon out there. He said, this, uh, I don't know, it's a valuable lesson that that he gave me, but it was uh, it was it was countless. Uh, he had several dogs during that time. Uh, me and him and Mike would hunt on horses, and we would. Uh, I'd bought a little mare and from Lawrence, and she, boy, she trained up good. And Lawrence always would have a different horse. He'd have a horse that we would train on all night. Uh, Mike had a 
he had a little spotted horse that was amazing. Uh, would climb and do anything. And my little horse, she wasn't as strong as Mike's horse, but she was she was good. And but Lawrence would have a untrained horse every time we went because he was buying and selling as quick as he get one going. Uh, he'd uh, he'd sell it. So while we were hunting, we'd be training on Lawrence's horse. Uh, make him climb, make him go, boys. Uh, put put him in there now. Hey, don't worry about yours. Get mine. Get mine. Uh, all night long. That's that's what we did. Uh, but he had a little old female that goes back now to Jed Finley's trader line. Uh, at that time, she was a they called her Rolling Blue Thunder, and they but her name was Wendy. And she, I think we talked about her some on the first podcast. And Mike had a young dog, a blue dog, English dog. <laughs> to this day, may be one of the best dogs I ever hunted with. Outstanding mouth, outstanding track dog, hunting dog, fly in the world, bark right out there. Uh, and when he barked on a tree, one bark, it, it was just shot in the air. Ha! And it was done, he was treed, and there was a coon there. And I had a little dog, a little walker dog, called him General Lee, that I'd made night champion, and three wins to grand. That's, I've never made the dog grand night champion ever, so. We'd hunt him three one-year-old dogs, and we were just, uh, you know, we was treeing four or five coons be hanging on them horses every night. It was a lot of fun, and no tracking collars, no nothing. We'd pull over to Lawrence's house. He'd say, just turn the dogs out, boys. Turn, turn them out. And we'd say, why? You know, he'd say, well, they'll, they'll come on. You got to train your dog come on. So we would leave his house headed to the bottom, a call, hell, come on, hell. <laughs> and I... I've hunted all night not have my dog. Uh, or he's hunted all night not have his, or Mike not not have his. Whichever dogs come on and went to tree and coons and running, that's the ones we hunted with. We'd find them other ones later. But uh, it was, uh, oh, it was fun. It was fun back there. We, me and Mike got in a big race one night in a, in a cornfield over there, and he said his horse faster than mine. We were running around the edge of this cornfield, and I hit an irrigation hole, and it, my horse and me turned 40 flips, tore the light cord out of my light. Uh, didn't do anything to me back back then. You, I could take a tumble. But it was a... You'd be down for six months now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it all tell Lawrence stories, you know. That was the big thing is tell Lawrence stories. Now, his wife lived in a big brick house out there in the front of the, there was a little store. She had a big, nice brick house. It's still there. Behind the house was an old house. Now, it was 150 yards behind the house out there in the pasture. He never had anything but a one wire electric fence around and he kept, he's always training on a horse. He never had a job. Worked one week at a electric company and all at the for the county driving a gravel truck and they fired him for stopping at the store talking to his friends more more than he drove the gravel truck 
but his wife worked 45 years at Brown Shoe Company, never missed a day, but he just traded and worked and would stay gone. And I mean, he had the life. He, it didn't matter. You could go ask him. If he wasn't doing nothing, he'd go with you. Uh, and he wasn't doing nothing. You could call him any hour of the night if you were stuck or you needed help. He answered that phone. It laid right beside him in the bed. He, he said, any man that won't answer his phone scared of his wife or he won't pay his bills. One of the two. He said, you know, you man got to get up and answer that phone if he's going to make a living. So... You know, it was just, uh, every, I would hear all them old Lawrence tales. Well, we would go, if I wasn't working, even if I was working, sometimes I'd try to get finished early as I could to make it out to that old camp house and sit around, because there would be five, ten people out there. They would be castrating horses. They'd be training horses be working on something out there all day long that, that's that was his workplace he had a he had a big tall fence out there for dogs and a big he had a fence to jump for horses and he had uh, another fence made that you could lower and up for horses to jump and learn to climb dogs learn to climb this fence he would He'd put in a day's work, carry his dinner out there, and this dog would have to climb this net wire fence a hundred times a day from one side of it back to the other side of it. He didn't have no dogs barking at fences. Uh, there was a big creek down there, and he, if he thought his dog couldn't run on a creek uh, good or had trouble with creek banks, he would put some man on the other side of the creek it was a big old steep and deep creek, and he would uh, he'd have a rope on each side of this dog. They'd make him swim across the creek, climb the bank over there, straight up bank. He'd have to climb it by himself. They had a rope just to make sure he would come on. And then the other guy would pull him off the bank, down into the water, he'd swim. He'd do that for hours uh, and hours working, working on a dog teaching them and, and he always kept a bale on them. A bale was his tracking collar. He he had tracking collars before anybody else had them. <laughs> I know we was hunting one night and uh, we run up on some hunters and uh, all of a sudden one of Lawrence's dogs come up and that bale just a ring a ling a ling a ling a ling that run right up under a, that fellow on that horse and it throwed him plump off of it. <clears throat> <laughs> He always had a he had a cure or fix, you know, for everything. He didn't. He believed uh, in worming a dog. Uh, he liked uh, Atgard dichlorophus was the active ingredient in that, which is DDVP. I've used DDVP. I'm a pest control guy, so DDVP. You could, uh, they could see a big wasp nest on the side of a house, and you could spray two feet on each side of the wasp nest, and it not not even spray the wasp. And in 15 minutes, the wasp would go to falling off the wasp nest dead. Well, he believed that DDVP was in that Atgard horse wormer, so he believed you had to have a dog wormed that if 
when the dog took a dump that the flies that landed on the dump had to die. If they did, if it wouldn't kill flies <laughs> when the dog took a dump, then you hadn't wormed it up. You, <laughs> you hadn't done nothing. <laughs> he said, ah, they don't they don't know. I mean, you got you got to have a dog, right? So his dog would be wormed, okay? <laughs> if it didn't kill it. It would be wormed. And they would be so shiny, he would have a dog in such shape that you could take the water hose. I've seen him do it countless times. He would wet my dog, and he would get wet, and he would take his dog, and the water would run off like you had just rain-danced, waxed your car. It would just, water would just, he said, if you can wet a dog, he's not in shape, he ain't been wormed right, Uh, you can't do no good, you can't win no hunt unless you have a dog in shape see he taught me that right off the bat we would uh we'd make our own dog food back then with him he now we just buy the cheapest dog food we'd go out to the store and get a bag of sunshine dog food that was about the cheapest you could buy but we'd go to the store up to these grocery stores and they would have some meat that were was coming out of date like that day like chickens and beef and all kinds of stuff. And he he would get everything they had that they would give him because he was coming out of, he either just went out that evening or was going out and they hadn't sold it. So he'd give it to him. And we would boil a big tub of water out there and we'd put the, all that meat in it. And he would cook it till it fell off the bones and we'd pull the bones out of it. He'd pour part of the water out of it, and then he would pour out, pour them sacks of uh, sunshine dog food in there with that. It said cracklings and stuff, and then we'd have cracklings, and he'd mix all that, and we'd have a big tub of dog food. Then we'd hold little little bags of, out, and we'd dip it out, meat, dog food, and all, and you'd put it in these little packs and put it in the freezer, and that's what we fed. Uh, he, he, I'm telling you, they would eat it. You'd, you'd take it out, set it out that morning if you're going to feed that night. It would be, you know, it, it, it'd be thawed out. They would eat every bite of it, and the hair, they're just, I mean, you couldn't wet them. But he was always working on stuff like that. Same way a gun-shy dog, he, he would... Uh, it was he would take a gun out there and lay it lay it in the dog pen and shoot lay the lay the gun down and put the feed on the gun and then they would come out they would have to eat if they eat they had to eat off the gun uh then he would go out every time he'd have a he'd he'd get the gun he'd shoot he'd lay it back down they he'd eat off the gun and next thing you know he'd go to shooting on the way to the dog pen and they'd go to barking. How? How? I mean, they want to eat. Uh, they, <laughs> he, 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 there was really nothing that I ever seen that he couldn't fix. Uh, I seen him buy a dog that had ear canker. They'd sent him to Mississippi State University and uh, couldn't fix him. And he, you could smell him 
he's the worst ear canker ever was. And he bought him from for eight hundred dollars. He was a really good dog. And he said, but if you'll hold him, and that man held him, and he poured carbolic acid in them ears, and the smoke boiled, and he turned him loose, and the dog left a howling. But uh, went over in about a week, and his ears were just as clean and and perfect and. <laughs> I don't know what he sold the dog for, but it, it was amazing. He, he said, you got to you got to burn that out of there. You got to burn that outer layer of skin, get that fungus out of there. And I've done this trick, too, a few times. A dog would have a cough they could not get rid of. And a fella called me this week, Dennis Thornhill, about a dog that he said had a cough, and he's had him to the vet several times. And, I guess we'll talk to Dennis and see if his dog died or if he didn't. I, I give him the Lawrence cure was was to to get you a handful of salt, pull his tongue back, throw that salt down him. Uh, I, I did old Candy that way. She had blasto. She was the worst coughing dog I've ever heard, and I'd had her treated, and it was three or four weeks after I had her treated, and you could still hear her breathing and coughing and he said he could cure and he went in and got him a handful of salt i don't mean a baby handful i mean a handful a heaping handful of salt he threw it down her throat and 15 minutes her sides come together and she went to vomiting and 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 getting all that flame out of there and within a week i uh, went back to hunting her she was never had another cough a day in her life I've Googled that and see, and I, I found one place where old timer threw a handful of salt down dogs. I told Dennis Thornhill my cure because I bought a dog a few years ago had a bad cough that that it placed in the super stakes, and I we salted him, and, and either that cured him or something did because he he got better quickly. Hey guys, next time you're in the market for some new hunting gear, head on over to coonhuntersupply.com and check out the Razor hunting gear line. Razor has partnered up with Yoder Nylon to bring some of the sharpest and best designed briar proof gear on the market. They have their own line of hunting gear like coats, bibs, chaps, vests, and more. Also, check out the newly released Razor Z1 light. It includes a double walk light, bright double red lights, tight and bright main beam, and a razor-sharp green laser. Head on over to coonhuntersupply.com and get yours ordered today. What about, uh, Colton's got a pretty good story about him, about the fence. Oh, yeah. I was about to hear that one. Oh, yeah. Well, kids was amazed by Lawrence Pettigrew. I mean, Avery Bell, Avery Bell's dad believed in Lawrence and he would send Avery down to stay in the summertime, you know, two or three weeks without ever letting him come home. Just, just let him live off the land down there on the horses and the dogs. Well, Billy was the same way. He carried little Billy down there and he would stay at Lawrence's and, and then come over to my place. He ever got over to my place, he wouldn't, you couldn't hardly get him back over to Lawrence's. And once he got to Clay's <laughs> and Clay had that river boat he didn't, you couldn't hardly get him away from there, but Colton was the same way, my son. Time he was little, the 
The first time he ever seen Lawrence, Tolton was two or three years old. And Lawrence pulls up and just comes on in the house. Now, Lawrence Pettigrew didn't buy nothing to eat. He eat, if he come in your house, he went to the refrigerator. He didn't ask you. If you had biscuits laid out or bacon laid out, he didn't ask you. He just sat down and went to eat. Well, this time he went in there and he opened the freezer up and we had a some ice cream, vanilla ice cream. And it wasn't a lot. It was in one of those gallon buckets. He just got the ice cream out and went to eating it. Eat every bit of it and took the bucket home for a feed bucket. <laughs> so I remember Colton looking out the window one day and a few days later and his mother had bought a, a new gallon of ice cream and Lawrence pulled up and Colton said, Mama, Lawrence is outside. He said, put the ice cream under the couch. <laughs> So, so he wouldn't eat it. But from the time Colton was born, he he loved to go to Lawrence's and loved to ride horses. And so, one day Colton had a couple of friends over. He was about twelve years old. He said, "Can you run us over to Lawrence's on Saturday morning?" They spent the night on Friday night. He said, "Lawrence got some horses over there. He's wanting us to ride, break." I said, yeah, I'll run you over there. So that morning I ran him over about nine o'clock and I went back at dinner. It's about 12 and they're not riding horses. They are putting up a fence for Lawrence, brand new fence. I seen he had brand new fence wire, brand new post, everything. And I thought, now how in the world did he get these boys to work and I can't get them to work? So I I went out to Colt and I said, what are y'all, what are y'all doing building Lawrence a new fence? He said, well, I didn't want to tell you, but Lawrence told me to go out to the house, get his truck, drive it out here to the barn. And he said, when I drove it out here, I hung his fence and tore it down. He said, Lawrence had some new post and wire and we're helping him put up a new fence. <laughs> I said, okay. So I went out there and looked at Lawrence's truck and they never had done anything redone to it. Lawrence had tied the electric fence to his hitch ball, wrapped it around the hitch ball of his truck out by his big house. So he told Colton to go get the truck. So when Colton goes to pulling out there to the barn, he has pulled up every post on purpose. Lawrence had it fixed that Colton would not know and he would just go out there and get in the truck. He pulled up every fence post and all the fence all the way down through there and Lawrence goes to hollering at him, ho, 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 you've hung, you've hung my fence. <laughs> So now he happens to have new wire, new fence. It was a setup. They they worked all day putting up a new fence and never knew what the hell happened. That, but, now that's the way Lawrence Pettigrew thought. Uh, he was always a step ahead. Always a step ahead. And if not two. Yeah. So Colton was about 13 and he wanted to go to horse sale with Lawrence and 
So every time they had a horse sale, New Albany. Well, this time, just them two went. A lot of times there was more went. They, so they went in Lawrence's truck, and he he was getting older. He, he couldn't see as good at night. He drove down there, and they stayed too long. So it was dark on their way back. They'd been to Belmont, Mississippi, is where they'd been, because they came back up 25 Highway. So coming from Mississippi into Tennessee, people, I guess, drinking. It it was a dry county in Mississippi. So coming in from Tennessee side, they set up a roadblock from Pickwick, partying. So they top. Lawrence don't want to drive, so he puts Colton driving at 13 years old, driving his truck, pulling a horse trailer. And they come pulling in, uh, top this hill, and there's a roadblock. He said, Lawrence, Colton said, Lawrence, you've got to get over here. Daddy, I ain't got no driver's license. He's 13 years old. He said, I, he said, it'll be all right. He said, no, get over here. He said, Daddy will kill me if I get a ticket or get stopped. Lawrence said, I can't get over there. He said, just pull on up there. There was two or three cars in front of them. They had stopped. Lawrence said, just roll the window down, and when he get up here, I'll do the talking. So <laughs> Colton said, I'm in a nervous shape. I'm trying to set up as high as I can. I'm 13 years old. We'll roll the window down. That state trooper, just as he comes to the window, he don't ever get to say, can I see your license or registration? Lawrence says, who y'all looking for? There's some baddens loose somewhere. He said, we've been down to that horse sale. Horses ain't bringing nothing. I, we, we carried a couple of horses, but they won't bring nothing. And everybody is, uh, hey, I don't know what's wrong with the market right now. He said, y'all go on, sir. And uh, <laughs> just went right on by. Lawrence <laughs> just talked them to death right there. They never got to ask a question. Just said, go right on, sir. Oh, that's Colton's luck. <laughs> While we're on Colton, I don't, I don't remember if y'all talked about it in the last podcast or not, but tell a story about uh, him and Casey Montgomery's truck. Oh, yeah. Well, Colton about like Lawrence. I guess he was raised by him, but we were hunting one night and they got over close to a place we shouldn't have been, was on Shiloh Park. And we decided to not call no rangers or nothing. Just We'd just go down there and ease down in there and get the dogs. But there was a good way. Uh, run down there and get them and get off. And uh, so Col Colton was about 12, 13 at that time. And Casey Montgomery had a black Chevrolet truck, single cab, with loudest glass packs on it you ever heard. And we were hunting in Casey's truck. So I told Colton, I said, look, we're gonna pull out over there on the park. And I said, me and Casey's gonna jump out of the truck and we're gonna run down there and get the dogs. And I said, they, they're about a half a mile. So it's gonna take us a few minutes. So I want you to go right out there and turn around pull back off of the park and sit there, give it a few minutes, give it about 10, 15 minutes. If we're back in the road here, we'll have a stick laying in the road, a branch, and, and that way you'll know that we're here. And so 
Colton, he's excited. So he gets in the truck, he's easing off. Me and Casey head off down through the woods. and We get down in there about a tenth, maybe a quarter of a mile. And all of a sudden I hear, I thought, what the hell is that up there at the road? Stopped again. Colton has got that truck up there on the park and he is spinning tires and I mean mortally laying it down, son. He's having the time of his life <laughs> and I'm so mad headed to these dogs. I, I said, we're going under the jail tonight. <laughs> Lord, how Leave nice. it to Colton. <laughs> <laughs> we, we get back, finally get back up there at the truck. He didn't wait on the branch to get there. He's pulled over right on the side of the park where we'd let him out, and he's in the passenger seat, acts like he's asleep, like he ain't done nothing wrong. I'm so mad I could kill him. Uh, <laughs> still probably denies it. Yeah. It, is a, it, it was something. <clears throat> but no, going back to, to Lawrence, you know, it... There's all kinds of stories on Lawrence. Uh, a lady told me a story at a ball game a couple years ago that I'd never heard. And she said her her dad had bought a brand new car, and they were out at the store there by Lawrence's house one day, and they called the store, had a phone in the store, and it was because uh, Al Aline, it was Lawrence's wife, her brother run the store so she called the store and said hey my car won't run over here and I need somebody to pick me up at work at Brown Shoe Company so Lawrence was there and he didn't have no vehicle so there at the store and this lady's dad said Lawrence just get in my car and run over and get Eileen Back in them days, Lawrence made whiskey. Uh, that's how he made all his money. He was this man don't know what kind of mistake he just he, made. He, he was a bootlegger. That's that's what Lawrence did. Uh, was that's when he before the dogs and the coon hunting. I mean, even though he did it at that time, he was known for moonshine. So this, she said, my dad told him so. Just get in my car, run over there, and get get your wife. I'm going to be here at the store sitting around. It's about eight or ten miles over there. But, well, Lawrence was gone about an hour, they said, getting Aline and getting back. So uh, she said, my dad had just bought this new car. He, I mean, he ain't had it a week. So Monday morning, he worked at the same place that Aline did, Lawrence's wife. So Monday morning, he went to work at 7 o'clock. Lawrence had went and got a key made to that guy's car while he was gone to get Aline. He was thinking bootlegging. So when that guy would walk in to the to work, he got, he got out for lunch at 12 o'clock. They walked into this factory. So Lawrence would be out there at 7.15, get in the man's car and 
carry it over there, load it down in whiskey and carry it to Mississippi and be back before 12. And he'd done this for two weeks. And he would put gas back in the man's car just like he had it, fill it to the exact same place. And she said, my dad was going around telling everybody, this new car I bought does not burn no gas. <laughs> he said, I've had it two weeks. I've drove it to work. I've drove it all over. It, I've not put a dollar's worth of gas in it. He said, it's just like where I left it. He said, it's the best car I've ever bought. He had no clue that Lawrence was stealing the car every day, every morning, and using it. But one day, he got out a few minutes early, and Lawrence was a few minutes late getting back in the car, and he, he went out, and Lawrence's car was there, and he is wasn't, and then Lawrence come rolling in there, and he, he got captured. <laughs> that fella said, I was the dumbest man in the world not to look at the mileage. I was just... <laughs> I was just looking at the gas. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, they'll never make no one, no one else like him. No, they they won't be any like him. Uh, one time we, uh, I bought a dog, and those ten dollar PKC hunts had started during the week. Our hunts, ten dollars. Uh, I was getting rich. I, they was four or five hunts around every night. And you could make them hunt it off when they first come out. Didn't matter. One man say, hunt, you hunt it. On a Monday night, you hunt an hour, go back, hunt another hour. <laughs> you have some mad people now. <laughs> well, I had bought this dog that was the lionest dog that ever lived. But he had the best mouth, and he picked big trees. And, buddy, I mean, I would have seven or 800 circle every ever cast. Nobody would tree a coon because he was forever more a tree dog. Back then people didn't have independent dogs. Their dogs would maybe tree with him on the first tree, tree a little bit on the second tree and leave and you know and then not tree no more. And they'd end up with some minus and I'd win. We'd hunt it off and I'd do the same thing late. I'd win, I don't know, nearly a hundred dollars a night when in first place. So Lawrence come by and he had a little blue tick female that I'd been with and she was a she was a really good track dog, but she didn't tree much. I'd been hunting with him a little bit and he had heard I'd got this dog and it was daytime. It was about eleven o'clock in the day. I think I think Goose Sanders is with him. And they was a couple more people and following them and they said hey we want to see this good dog you got and they they went down to dog pen looked at him and they said will he tree a coon in daytime because me and lawrence had hunted in daytime with zeb and told a lot of that stories on the first on the wipeout podcast but uh he said will he tree a coon daytime well i knew he hadn't ever treed but one or two coons since i'd hunted him that i had seen but I said, yeah, he'll tree a coon day or night. It don't make no difference to him. So he said, well, let's go. I said, I really got something to do. He said, yeah, that's the way you are. Won't, won't, won't show a man. I said, yeah, we'll go. Let's go. <laughs> so I loaded him up. We got in the truck behind Lawrence and Goose. And that other, them other two guys had a truck. 
So we go down. I was going down in the bottom, turn loose. He stops. He's leading the way. Or no, he goes to. He's. I'm leading. He goes to blowing the horn. He said, "We well, trying to pick a place for a coon. We well, got a feeder set somewhere." He said, "Just if you got a coon dog, turn him loose." So I said, "All right." So we just stop side of a road. And there's woods down through there, and we turned them loose. Went down on the creek, mine hadn't said nothing, down on a little ditch, and this blue tick female went to trailing. And mine barked a time or two. He was just mainly following her. She he'd bark every now and then. She went to trailing and she trailed probably three quarters of a mile off in there. And it was seemed like track getting a little better and, and Man, he fell on a tree in there in that country, and it's it was ever breath, and he was the most beautiful tree dog you ever heard. We drove around probably within about 300 yards of the tree in a field, and I wasn't expecting to see no coon at all. The little blue tick female still tracking around there. So I we go out to the tree. Me and Goose and these other two guys, and Lawrence stays at the truck. He said, uh, catch mine if she's in there, flank her a little bit if she's on that tree. Flank her meant pet her on the side of the road. He'd say, flank mine if he's in there, because he wouldn't go half the time. So we get into the tree, and that walker dog's treed every breath, and we find the coon. So I holler back at Lawrence, because I know I ain't got one. I holler back at Lawrence, and at the truck and I said, hey, Lawrence. I said, have you got a gun? He said, no. So about that time, a little blue tick female come around there close. I said, catch her, Goose. He caught her. We put her up on the side of that tree and flanked her and she went, hoo, 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 went to barking. He hollered back. He said, hey, hey, I found one. <laughs> and uh. <laughs> he found a gun when his got treated. <laughs> so we run down there and got the gun and shot the coon out. Goose let the little blue tick female loose. She went straight to the truck when we shot. The... He said, y'all can't train nothing. But it was the funniest story ever was. <laughs> I found one. <laughs> oh, man. Mm-mm-mm. Well, tell us about you, your little dog you're hunting now. He's off of uh, Cold 45 and one of Fergie's females. Um, well, uh, I really like him. You know, it's like all of them, love-hate relationships with me and dog, try to train on them till they die. Uh, I, I bought him. No, I saw I did. Me and Fergie, we bred them. Bred old Whizzy to Colt 45. I had a litter of pups. And uh, Jason Daughtry got one. And Ron Chandler got one from Kentucky. And I seemed like somebody else from Kentucky got one. Jason came down here and hunted that night, Colt 45. He carried, I believe, Nikki. And we went hunting. And I think Carl Proctor came with him. Jason said he's glad he didn't hunt here. Uh, but we had a, we did tree a coon. 
he got them pups. Well, this little blackback male that Ron Chandler had, he, he kept telling me he was treeing, treeing, running treeing, and he liked him. And so I finally one day I got him to price him over, over the phone. And I said, I'll just buy him. So I ended up buying him, probably give too much for him. And I got him home. He wouldn't, uh, he went hunting good, he struck good. He didn't have no confidence at the tree. He would tree, he would tree some, but I mean it, he just did not have enough confidence to stay treed at all. I remember letting you carry him home once. He, he barked in the box some then, and if you didn't put a no bark on him. He's, he's always been a dog too that he won't not use the bathroom in the pen. He uh, he won't he don't even urinate in the pen. Uh, he won't take a dump in the pen unless you leave him. I mean, you have to leave him over 24 hours, probably 36 hours, if he has to. And then he'll go to barking because he wants you to let him out. If not, but if you'll go down every day and let him out, he'll go straight to the bathroom. Uh, you don't even need a water hose, okay, if, with this dog. He's the cleanest dog in a pen, easy kept that I've ever had. But, but I, I ended up selling him to Jim Brockelman. Uh, he called a young dog in West Virginia, and, and me and Jim had really never talked or anything. I'd heard Jamie Painter talking about him. We we got we got to be friends talking and he got to telling me and he said he had a lot of coons and some feeders and in West Virginia and that he thought he could help him. I said the dog don't need anything except confidence at the tree. He just he needs to be hunting by himself and kill some coons. And he I, he treated coons for him from day one. Uh, and just kept getting better and better and better every time he would take him. Then he ended up, I think, letting Jason Martin hunt him and put some touches on him for recasting. And uh, Jason hunted him, and I know he treated probably over a hundred and something coons for Jason. And I think he done a, a really good job with him of getting to, to recast and different situations that he'd never been the Jim hadn't done with him. Jim just had him built up with confidence now. And he and he won a lot of hunts up there. He won this little thirty dollar and fifty dollar hunts enough that he got a he has an at large uh truck pup ticket. I think I they'd won twenty out of twenty one casts he'd been in. Something like that. Prior to his first super stakes. Yeah. But they went Jason hunted him in the super stakes. Me and Jim was on a deal for me to buy half of him back, but he had, he had told Jason he could hunt him in the super stakes, and I was fine with that. But they got down to super stakes, and his sister, the one that Jason Daughtry had raised, ended up getting in the final four. I think she finished third, and he didn't act right, they said, at the super stakes. He didn't, he didn't act himself. Uh, something I, I really don't know but anyway me, me and Jim ended up making a deal and I bought half the dog and and I got him home and I think the first night I carried him with you uh, we went in the boat 
He didn't. I think he treated a coon, but I think he was treated three. He, I, I was a little worried and went a couple nights better. He got got to getting a little bit better and adapting to Tennessee. And then uh, I went. We went to Iowa, mm-hmm. and I beat you up there hunted the first night by myself. Knocked the edge off of. I got I got him cooned and fired up that night. So I had him ready and. The little dog looked good up there. He, he done a done a pretty good job. Yours did too. Yours did an amazing job up there. Uh, which hunting with my old buddy Merlin Hershberger and Jacob Humphreys and Matt Mathis. And I think we went with a uh, Cole Lightner. Yeah, Cole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was hunting John Wick. That, John Wick. That dog was a looked, real nice dog. Looked real good. Yeah. <laughs> so come home, went to hunting him and. And I, I did pretty good. I, I, I hunted him in the senior hunt. I thought, why am I carrying a pup to a senior hunt? I had piratry up here, but I told you the way you've been looking. That's exactly who I'd be taking. <laughs> yeah. Tanya even said, "No, nah, you, you crazy for listening to bush." <laughs> yeah. It, it ain't that Bush don't know. He just don't win. He knows. He just ain't had no. Luck <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Oh, he's a, he's a lot more accurate." You know, you gotta. And that's Benny's thing, is, is accuracy has been his really thing. He, he's been lucky to get good strikes and hunts because he don't babble and he don't bark out of place much, And, and but he's been real good to get his mouth open in a hunt to get a good strike and then turn it into a cone tree. And I made it to right before the final four of that. He didn't look too good in that cast. But Zach McBee's female looked good. and. Eldon Cork hunting her, and then he looked really good in his pro hunt over here at Ripley, Tennessee. And I had a bad, bad deal happen, and the semis kept me out of the final four. I should have been in the final four, but I won't go into that. <clears throat> but I've, uh, I really like him. You know, he's he's not two yet, won't be two to March, and you know they all go through spells in that all the good ones I ever had. One day you think, man, this thing, this is it. And the next next time you're, you're, you're not, you don't think it's it. <clears throat> and uh, You're ready to sell him. <laughs> yeah, ready to do this, that. But, but Jim's a good partner. Well, we've been talking and, and, and we, I gave him, <clears throat> or, and on the deal, of half of another young dog and he's, he, he's younger. We call him Coma. He's he's doing a good job. We got a boy to hunt him up there, and I can't think of the boy's name. Where I've mentioned it, but uh, I don't I don't know. What he boy, hunts with uh, Adam McGuire. Yeah, he hunts with Adam. And the boy done a really good job. If anybody needs a dog hunted up north, he he did a good job with this pup, getting him confidence treed. And uh, first night Jim carried him, he treed three singles, three for three. Uh, after he got him back, I think he stayed there two months. He's he's a good young dog too. He'll be a spring one year old, right? Spring one year old, like yours, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. I thought I had a good dog. The other night, bushes put on the clinic on me, uh, which we we hunted them one on one side of the road and one on the other side of the road, and. Uh, 
I thought I picked the best side of the road, but I didn't, <laughs> evidently, because he was treed four on that side of the road as good as any dog I ever seen, quick as any dog I ever seen. I ended up with a coon and a den on the other side of the road. So. I got you on that one. Next cast I had, I hunted your side of the road. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. I had a good hunt that next night. We went to Gibson, drew out with a former world champion, Brian Turner. And uh, me and him, I think I had three and a quarter and, and had another tree there at the end. Couldn't find my coon, and he, he treed three. And uh, there ain't many casts that you have three and a quarter over in this neck of woods and and don't win. But going back to my luck, that's the, that's the <laughs> way it goes. Yeah, and I hadn't seen Brian Turner in a few years, but I'm telling you, you see Brian Turner at a hunt, you better be expected to have to treat two or three to beat him because he will, don't pay no entry fee unless he, <coughs> he's there to win. They yeah. hunted, they hunted it off and uh, that dog won it all. She's off Mojo semen and uh, on tap and Zev again, female. If you see Brian Turner and Mike Ferguson pay an entry fee, they there to win. Mm. They're going to win. Paying their own money. <laughs> yeah, if they paid their own money, they they going to win. Mm -hmm. That's the first time I ever met him. Was, he seemed like a good, real good fella. Yeah, he's, I've knew him for 30, 30 years or more. Um, boy, used to be some really good hunts up at Dresden, Tennessee, with him and Pud Morgan and Andy Morgan and Oh, it's fun. Fun times. Pop Bunder. Chad Hicks walked along with us. Jack's, uh, Chad's a good dog man. Chad's as good as they are with a young dog. <laughs> Probably one of the best as far yeah. as. He yeah. puts the time in on them. We had a little female together one time, <clears throat> me and Chad. and I don't know. I think Braden was playing baseball or something. I didn't really do my part on Lethal Leah. Um, <clears throat> on that deal but she was a pretty good little dog but Chad yeah he he's he knows how to train a young dog poor old Jonathan keeps him keeps him tore up all the time <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan lives to aggravate Chad Hicks that's what he does uh, <laughs> or aggravate everybody as that goes yeah he's so dry about it so most people are not smart enough to realize what he's doing <laughs> uh, Jonathan he's a good one mm -hmm. he's a he's a dang good one I know Chad took him under his wings when he was young but <clears throat> he knows what gets to Chad or gets to anybody once he learns what gets to somebody he's gonna rib that just a little bit <laughs> Well, I'm sure a lot of people like to hear a little bit about Zeb, some of the mold dogs too. Uh, we still got about three hours worth of driving, so I'm sure we got time. Okay. Uh, what about early in life? When did when did you realize that, that he was really going to be something? I I didn't. I I really didn't know. Trying to think of the year Zeb was born. In 93, wasn't it? 
Well, I guess that's right. Uh, I remember Colton running around them in cowboy boots, uh, no shirt on in a video I got when they were baby puppies that running around the yard. Colton's born 89. That would have put Colton at four. I thought he was younger than that, but maybe that's right. I was thinking you told me before, 93, but I, it may have been 92. I think 93 is right. Yeah, it was. Um, we won the truck, and I think in 96 or 97. But, uh, no, I didn't really. <clears throat> I, I knew Zeb. I liked his looks. I had his, his mother, of course. We talked about candy and her ability and uh, how she changed from a from a tree dog to a track dog to a dog that would tree coons and could fly on a track and run off and leave dogs on a track and but you know she still was a really good dog she wasn't a hundred percent consistent as Zeb was and but I wanted to raise a litter of pups I don't guess I'd raised over a, a couple litter of pups my whole life till then. That first litter we talked about earlier out of Bess, and <clears throat> maybe that that litter out of Wendy that Lawrence had that we'd brought that that goes back that Mike's dog he named Trader that Jed Finley's dogs go back to Trader. That was probably the other litter that I had, and then so I bred, bred them, and I looked and I searched for a male dog, and I I narrowed it down to two dogs. Uh, was a silver dollar uh, cracker? No, it wasn't cracker. Stone crack, cracker's dad. Mm. I said it in the first video. What was that dog's name? Uh, um, Bergie would know. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, Richard Owen had him. Crockett. Silver yeah. dollar Crockett. <clears throat> Stan Phillips had him at one time there in around Tuscaloosa. They, uh, everybody told me about him, and then Cracker was out of him, and I, I liked Cracker. You know, I thought, man, I'd get me another dog like Cracker. Cause Ronnie Bone won everything he went to with Silver Dollar Cracker. Uh, David Blake won with him. Uh, Brian Owens won with him. Whoever hunted him won with him. But, but I really liked Ronnie Nickens' dog, Coma. Uh, and I knew Ronnie Nickens. He had just always been a winner. He'd always won the state championship with something that he hunted. and and. Uh, I liked Coma's looks, and I, he looked different. Had that old big head and big eyes, and was so smart that I bred to Coma. And then I had 11 puppies, and they all, every one of them that everybody got would tree a coon, but they was, uh, he was just special. He, he looked, looked like Coma but he had both of them's ability. But, but he, you know, starting him out, you wouldn't have thought he was no different than anything else other than athletic ability. It was the only difference I could see in him. He, 
he moved around the yard different and everything else. Uh, he jumped higher than anything else. Uh, he ran faster than anything else. Cause I'd take the four wheeler and run them pups down an old gravel road over there. And you couldn't, you couldn't outrun him. And it, he, well, you could have, you'd have floorboarded it, but he, he'd just be galloping beside you while the rest of them were in full, full length gallop and then he could just kick it on up if he needed to and he, but I started hunting him and carrying him along you know he he didn't seem like he wanted to cross water and he'd bark at a uh, you know make a bed beside you and, you know just like any pup I didn't start him with no live coons or no drags or, or nothing else because I I just thought you'd take a dog hunting he'd, he'd make it you know I I didn't know how to actually get them get them going in that way I never really started over a, just a baby puppy <clears throat> other than the blue dog at time and that's what I done with him I just carried him hunting and, and he, he ended up making it so that's what I did with him. And, but I remember one night, the first night he ever treed, we were sitting, me and Tam and Clay had went hunting and Tam had a new female. And we made a tree in here and she wasn't there. I don't remember what they were hunting. Seemed like jar and something else. And, um, when we pulled off the tree, there was a dog tree three or 400 yards on down the bottom. And I said, Tam, is that your female? I don't even know if we had tracking collars then. I just tell the truth. We, we may have had beep beep collars. Uh, I don't know if I had one on him. He was just a pup. He really had never done nothing. And Tam said, I don't know. It may be her. I ain't had her long. So we go to him, go to the tree, and it's Zeb. He's treed there on a big pin oak tree by himself. And uh, I was excited about that. And I don't think he made another tree for a few nights. And, and then uh, next night he went, he treed, he made a tree and had a coon. And so I told Fergie and him about it. And they had a uh, lead, Nickens. They sold him Nickens. He called him Five Speed. I went over there with him one night. I guess about the fifth or sixth night I'd carried him. Lead made two trees and Zeb just kept going on and had two coons. And I killed him, stuck a stick in my eye. I remember going to him so fast, trying to get over there to him. But it's like I made a coon dog that night. I mean, he just, all of a sudden, he didn't, he didn't pull up wrong. He didn't. He didn't do anything so wrong. I did go hunting with Lawrence, and he was 11 or 12 months old, and he probably offered me more money than he had ever offered for a dog at that time. Uh, Everett King was hunting a big, high-powered dog, and Zeb treed three singles, about 12 months old, and that dog just made trees. So I went to. I just went to hunting on him, and I mean Billy Bale and him came down one night. And he wanted to buy half of him, 
he was Billy was young and me and him went to Starkville, Mississippi and a few nights before we had went hunting and over at a little place where me and you hunt some we call it the Narrows and Zeb had treated a coon up in there he didn't he wasn't no hard tree dog nothing then he just how 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 but he had a coon and we killed it maybe one of the only coons we treed that night and so we went on to Mississippi and hunted or I don't remember what we were doing down there but we we come back and Zeb was a pup and there was a football game on it may have been the Super Bowl it may have been a playoff game right before the Super Bowl but we, we cut loose just turned Zeb out from the house and he struck a deer and and he was he was out of here in three or four minutes like he always was he was probably about 13 14 months old and I had a, I'd put a tracking collar on him because Zeb was a lot like this dog that I got here now Zach he he didn't use the bathroom in the pen either you you had to turn Zeb out and he you didn't lead him he just turned him out he he'd go to woods instantly he would empty out urinate take a dump both right then and come get in a truck you could just talk to him if he said you know get get out of that truck get in this truck he'd get out of guilt go get in the boat he'd go get in the boat he he just listened to every words you said he never had a shock collar on him and for none of that situations he just I don't know he just knew what he's talking about it's intelligence yeah he would even open the pen up you know with his nose that he'd take that gate and he would open the pen up so I had to keep a snap on it so people would come to see him or see me and they'd that say, where's Zeb? Well, I would ease in there and I would ease that snap off that he didn't hear it. So he would just be sitting in the pen. And they'd say, uh, is that Zeb? I'd say, yeah, that's him. I'd say, come here, Zeb. He'd go over and hit the latch with his nose, come outside, run down there and pee. And I'd say, go get in the truck. He'd go up there and get in the truck. I'd say, nah, go get in the boat. He'd go get in the boat. They'd say, how do you keep that dog in the pen? I said, well, I didn't tell him to get out. I didn't tell him I keep a snap on it. <laughs> Coon Hunting University would like to welcome their new sponsor, Joy Dog Food. Joy has been a major contributor to the dog hunting community for decades. His family owned and operated in Southern Illinois. Whether you need puppy food or feed for adult working dogs, Joy has you covered. Check out their Facebook page, website, or give the office a call to decide which blend best suits you and your dogs and find a local dealer near you. Joydogfood.com or give them a call. 800-245-4125. But Billy wanted to buy half that, getting back to that, Billy wanted to buy half that pup, and I priced it to him for little or nothing. I didn't have no money. And uh, Billy told his dad, said bring the money when you come down here to get me I'm buying half this Zeb pup he said well you can just stay down there with Kitty cause they ain't no pup coming to my house <laughs> so that's how close Billy Bell come to owning half of it but I got him doing a little bit better and me and Clay was hunting and 
and I knew that they were going to have the first ever PKC truck hunt at Lula, Mississippi at the casino. It was coming up, but you had to win Pup of the Month. There was no four got in or no at, at large. You had to, it was, it was, there was 12 pups. There was 12 months. You won more money in a month than anybody else. Now they had 12 more dogs, pups, but they were handlers. So the 12 top handlers in the country that won the most money could pick any pup in the nation that had won $100. So they didn't have to hunt their dog. They could hunt the very best pup they could find in the nation. Those 24 pups were gonna hunt in the truck hunt. Well, I knew Clay Young was the best handler I'd ever seen. And uh, to this day, he's the best dog man, dog handler I've ever seen. Calm, cool, collected. So I made a deal with Clay on half of Zeb. Fergie said, why did you get rid of your dog? I said, well, I just, I just did. I, I thought, we're going to try to win a pup ticket. And we did. We, Me and him both handling. <clears throat> that way you could go to every hunt you could go to in a month. And we won top pup in March. So it was the next February. We had, we had 11 months from March to be ready. Now, he had to hunt in the super stakes before that, too. So... Uh, but I think what we did was we we overhunted him then in hunts because then we had so much money won, we thought, well, we can win the state, you know, open event, you know. They didn't have big hunts every week like they do now, okay? You had pro hunts or you had open hunts, you had the national championship and you had the world hunt. That was it. Other than they were gonna have this, this truck hunt, gonna give away a new truck. So first ever. So we had 11 months to get ready for that. We had about seven or eight months to get ready for the Super Stakes. But we kept hunting, trying to win the state championship, state leader, and we did. And I think we won probably two pro hunts that year. Maybe was in the running, right the very last pro hunt of the year, we would have been pro, pro leader. Um, Junior Jackson won it that year uh, I always think he paid Al Nunneman to hunt off the, if, if we'd have split the last hunt we win we had to have second or split if we get third then we ended up third we didn't win it maybe he didn't pay Al maybe Al did it on his own but I, I thought they had a talk but uh, anyway, <laughs> Al did win it with wild time <clears throat> anyway so we didn't win the pro championship but well, we burned him out. Boy, he he was not liking hunts. He was leaving some trees when dogs would come to him, and we we didn't know what to do. And we was pulling tricks. Uh, you know, I went and got some rough dogs to try to put on a tree with him. I had a cage coon. He wouldn't bark at a cage coon. I had never trained him. I'd never showed him a cage coon. So he pulled away from a cage coon while the other dogs 
the, the coon be going, and he, he'd pull away from it. He wouldn't bark at it. He wouldn't bark at a tree if you tied it up. You couldn't make him do anything. So I couldn't, I couldn't work him on those. Turn him loose in daytime, and and man, he'd fly through the country two or three miles, and you'd find him in just a little bit of time with a coon tree. But he would not tree at a cage coon. He wouldn't bark at it. Was no need showing him one. So we tried that. If we was pleasure hunting, he did so much better. So we would take the gun out at a hunt and show him the gun. We would even shoot sometimes at the clubhouse. <laughs> like, try to fire him up, think, boy, we're going pleasure hunting tonight. Because we hunted in a boat a lot, too. So if you went in a cast in a boat, he was going to he's gonna dominate that cast. But, uh, but we developed that. And we didn't know we we knew he left we knew he left a cone and but he tree another cone so quick we killed it shouldn't have ever done that but at the time we didn't we didn't know should have should have probably carried him back down there to the tree that he was treed on where the dogs came in to him and so he wouldn't leave unless a dog come to him but then, then he was you know but then he was jealous he wanted wanted just to be us. You know, I thought he'd be rough when he was young. I, when he was 13, 14 months old, a couple of old English dog and a black tan come into a tree where he was at. I was hunting by myself. Somebody had turned loose over there by me, and he, he ran both of them off the tree. And uh, But <laughs> I guess that's really the only, only times he ever did that. Uh, you know, it was always in the back of your mind if you tree him and somebody gonna something gonna come to you. And I guess in the wipeout line it's sort of developed in years past. They you had to have a, a strong tree dog in that line to for him to to stay if something comes to it. I I get worried about this young dog I got right now, same sort of the same way. I'm afraid he he's liable to move if something comes to it. Uh, you have to do them different. Sometimes you have to shoot out cones when they treat with a dog and not kill them when they're by themselves. If not, they just want to be by themselves all the time. You have to you have to do different situations with these dogs than, than these other ones. But we offered to sell him. I know a few people asked to try to buy him around super steak time, and we priced him and pretty high, but. We could live with it, but he didn't. He didn't sell. So we we made it a goal that we wasn't going to hunt in no hunts. We were going to just train on this dog uh, until the until the truck hunt. But we didn't do what we said. We we didn't hunt him in any open hunts. But we did take him to Texas and pro hunt and clay one it. I think we carried him to another pro hunt somewhere and finished in the top four. And then uh, went to the truck hunt. It was first ever. Joy Dog Food was a big sponsor of that hunt. Joy Dog Food's been with us a long time. Uh, so as a kid, I Joy Dog Food uh, was another story, but Kenny Atkins from Bolivar was a dealer. and. He's a coon hunter, and we'd go down there and tell story after story after story. And Mike Harper, 
was a representative and he would show up and hundreds of hunters, but that's a different story. But I do have a Joy Dog Food Knife that they gave away at the first ever Lady Luck Casino truck hunt. It's got Joy Dog Food, red bone handle Joy Dog Food. I had about three of those. Uh, somehow or another I got my hands on two or three of them because they had some left. And Mike wanted one. I don't know what I ever did. I lost one. I've either got one or two left. But Joy Dog Food was a big sponsorship. And they gave away, the casino gave away $10,000, $5,000 to the breeder and 5000 to the sire owner also. So it was a 96 or 97 Z71 four-wheel drive loaded out truck extended cab. So Clay's just getting off the boat. We're, not, we're trying to decide on who's going to hunt the dog. Uh, I'm wanting him to handle him. He, I feel like he's the best handler in the world. I want him to handle him. Um, a lot of people think I am, but if I had to pick between me and him, I, I pick him uh, every time. <laughs> so it was mandatory. The hunt started on Friday night. But it's mandatory to show up on Thursday night. Clay gets home on Thursday from the riverboat. And uh, he's really tired and wore out. He's not, he said, you hunt him on Thursday night and I'll hunt him on Friday. I said, no, 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 you go hunt him on Friday. You ain't been with him in 21 days. I've been, he's been on the boat. I said, I've been training on this dog. He's right. I said, he's right, but you need to hear him tonight. All right, all right, I'll come on. So he barely gets home time to drive to the casino from from home. And it's mandatory that you draw out into cast on Thursday night and hunt. Just like you go hunt in the hunt. Jarvis had this set up and all the spectators in the world can go hunting with you. They can walk in the woods, they can sit in the truck, they can do whatever. I mean, it's a show. That's what it is. He's putting on a show down here for the first ever truck hunt, and it was. Uh, so you draw out. I don't remember who we drew out with, but they, they you carry a scorecard. It don't count, but there's a scorecard. You have to call your dog just like you're in a hunt. I remember Zeb won the cast on Thursday night, whatever dog we hunted against. Um, and you may have hunted in, there's 24 of them, so I think you hunted in four dog cast. Six four dog cast. And we had spectators all over. Zeb tree two cones had 400 on them. And so <clears throat> had a good hunt. So the next night was the, I mean, I'm excited. I'm broke as a convict. If I don't win this hunt, I don't even know if I, if I can pay the bills come Friday, uh, come Monday morning, I'm telling you. Uh, so Clay hunts him on Friday night and wins. I think he has 200 plus. Hunts him, uh, Hunts again late Friday night. 
wins the cast. I believe he has, I believe he's got 400 plus and another dog has 350 or 375. It's really, really tight. And we make the final four. And boy, it's a good feeling Saturday night for the for the final four. Uh, there wasn't but 24 dogs in it. So I remember uh, James Love's in the final four. I don't remember the dog's name. Maybe maybe in B-Man. Uh, Pete Holt is judging. I never. I remember that. I'm sitting there. It's a first time I've ever sat at a place that I ever seen, and they have a live feedback, play by play, calling back into the casino. Scores are written down on a big scorecard, and uh, it's live. And there's probably a hundred people still sitting there at the casino room, uh, waiting on this final four. Uh, Dave Jewers, he's betting on me to win it. He, he he offered us a large sum of money for the dog and us keep the winnings. Yeah, but we didn't sell. And uh, I don't think it starts off good. Uh, Clay could tell this cast he was on it. I, I wasn't on it. But I know that I think we strike for 100 or 75, and James Love strikes for one of the other two, and he gets, Love gets treed first. Uh, I think Zeb may be there, but Clay's a little afraid to tree because he's heard about these other two dogs that's in the cast, that they may show up to a tree and he may leave, and so he don't tree love trees and the other two dogs show up in there when they show up in there we feel like he don't get minus for it but we feel like b-man moves over a tree he can't he can't stand the heat if it's b-man he he moves over a tree zeb knows his coon is there and it's something he don't do if he ever leaves because he left it, but he hadn't ever been declared treed. He, he shows back up in there about the time they're handling dogs. Well, Clay has looked up Love's tree a little bit. It's just a bush. He sees there's nothing in it. So as Zeb comes back in there, Clay ties him to Love's tree. Bushes, I mean, not to uh, where B-Man's at. <laughs> handling. Yeah, handling. That's why I told you he's the greatest that's ever been. He just sort of ties him over here with B-Man. So the judge looks between the trees. He see they do not touch. He's, he says, we're scoring them separate. So look up the, the tree. They've got a coon. These other two dogs receive plus points. Uh, one of them does get moved up to 100 because of a split. B-Man's on a tree I mean they're not four feet apart probably four or five feet apart but he's on a slick tree love questions it that these trees are so close that he felt like he has got moved over that he should be scored on his coon well 
Clay ain't feeling like he's going to probably win this. He, he said he love is correct. He's been moved over, but he's probably not going to get scored. Judge didn't score it that way. and So Clay ends up getting strike points deleted by being on the slick, tied on the slick tree. Don't, don't receive minus. So they go on, and I think these these two dogs fly out there and maybe tree another coon. Well, Zeb gets off by himself with a good strike and gets a coon treat, and then maybe, and then he gets another coon treat, and then they make a slick tree, and then they end up showing up to a tree again that that Zeb was on that Clay didn't tree. He'd been treed over there forever, and he did he was afraid they'd get turned loose, and he didn't. He didn't tree him, and they went to him, and he left, and he didn't take no minus. But he had another cone tree just right out from him that he got handled on. Uh, that he they got him treed after they got in there and tied them. He got got him treed and got. So anyway, we win the cast if the question, if the if the question don't go wrong. And uh, the judge states. I believe B-Man was on the tree with these dogs, but when I get in there, he's not on the tree with these dogs. He's moved over, and that's where I scored him, and that's the only place I could score him. So the question stayed the same, and we went a brand new truck. <clears throat> you talk about exciting. Uh, they give away a lot of them since. I've got five second places since. <laughs> Ain't won one yet. But uh, I also got $5,000 for being the breeder with Candy. Ronnie Nickens got 5000 being the breeder with Coma. Uh, and bills were paid. Bills were paid. Yeah, bills were paid. <laughs> you dang right. You dang right. What a feeling. Uh, which, you know, that, that was amazing. Uh, you know, we went on with Zeb and won the pro championship, won several more pro events, uh, was was within $400 of lifetime earnings, was in the lifetime leader. Uh, Lucky it's old Duke had won two world championships and had led it for years and was a good old dog. Silver Dollar Cracker had been hunted in a million hunts and he was just broke the record and he had passed Luckett's Old Duke. And we were within $400. We had passed Luckett's Old Duke and we were in $400 of cracker. Zeb was three years old. And you've heard the Wipeout podcast, so. Uh, he had lung flukes, uh, we didn't know it, and he died at Sullivan, Alabama in a dog box after winning a cast, uh, jumping on into a tailgate that was four feet high. Uh, I went back, I was gonna leave him there for Clay to hunt the next night. Clay was hunting him black and tan days, and he had gotten Misty, the world champion black dog, in the final four of black and tan days and he was gonna stay and hunt him the next night and we walked outside to get Zeb out of the dog box and he he was laying there. Uh, 
when I opened the door up and he didn't move, I knew something was bad wrong because he come out like a bullet and he didn't move. He was warm. He was hot. He he had just just passed away, I think. Uh, I pull him out of the dog box and somebody says Zeb's dead and the whole clubhouse is outside. Hundred people. You know, these people got down and give the dog mouth to mouth resuscitation. Uh, there's a. I remember Tam Young making a little speech. And I hope this dog died from natural causes, boys, because you wouldn't want me to know somebody done something to this dog. I couldn't imagine the feeling and the emotions it was going through. You yeah, and Clay was, at the time. Hey, you know, dogs win that kind of money now all the time, but this was this was a lifetime situation. This was. A pup that I'd pulled off a titty and and trained, and it was uh, it we meant the world to me. Now they just a tool that we use to do what we do in life. But you get attached to these dogs a little when they you raise them and train them, and 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 they almost all time money winning dog, and and you know you want a new truck when you was broke. He's put groceries on the table, and you know. You go out and win a $4,000 pro hunt was more than any man was making in a month's time back in those days. So it was, I'm just glad we got a few pups. I only had 61 pups out of Zeb at the time. And you see what they've done. And from Wipeout Candy, Wipeout Zeb, the Wipeout name, how many thousands? As Lawrence Pettigrew said, he said, you've got something a little different. Now, he was 12 months old. He said, you got something a little different. I've hunted with everything James Merchant's had. I've hunted with Cole McAllister, Russell Beller, Demon, uh, Stryker, all those dogs. He said, you've got something that I have not ever seen. He was close to 70 years old then. Uh, he said, do not breed that dog unless you keep you a pup and knock the rest of them in the head. If not, you take my word, you will be hunting against your own strain of dogs. I thought he's crazy. I was young, I didn't listen, not word of that, and probably wouldn't have done it anyway. He's 100% right. But he was 100% right, almost like he was on everything he ever said or ever did. He he out he could outthink everybody, just like getting a key made, Paul Moonshine. <laughs> he, just who would have ever dreamed of that? Who would have dreamed that these young boys is going to come over to their house today and he's going to have new wire and fencing out for him? He's going to tie a ball around a truck. Um, you know, I've had people, I've seen people give him trucks. There's a little bit of everything, but, but Zeb was, uh, I was told I didn't listen and uh, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad there's so many wipeout fans <clears throat> out there now. Uh, I'm glad there's, I don't know, 
they may be double numbers of wipeout world champions. I'm really not sure. I don't know. Me and Brad Mitchell hunted a couple of nights ago, and we was talking about it. And I, I know there's four, four or five that we could think of, and it's uh, it's it's a trademark now. It's it's more than just a line. It's a trademark. Well, they've won enough trucks to have a car line. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, and it wasn't nothing I did. I mean, people, I get so much credit. Barry Kitty, Barry Kitty, uh, wipe out. I get so much credit, boys, but I had the best female that I'd ever had, and I bred her to the very best dog that I could find. And, and I ended up with a once-in-a-lifetime dog, wipe out Zeb, and he just, uh, he, he made a name for himself. Uh, people call me from all over the country. As they did Lawrence Pettigrew, as, as we said, was talking about him earlier, that little camp house out there had sheetrock walls in it. You could not walk in that camp house. Now that was a two bedroom, living room, kitchen, bathroom. You could not walk in that camp house and stick your finger on a wall that did not have a name and a phone number written on it. From Canada to Louisiana to Texas, he had had dealings with so many people. He didn't have no phone index. He didn't have no telephone. He had their name and number wrote on the sheetrock walls in that cabin. Sometimes he'd say, Barry, go back there in that bedroom. I think it's on that window wall. An old boy from Louisiana, I can't think of his name, and get his name number back. <laughs> he'd had everybody wrote on it. Thousands and thousands of people he touched, of horses and dogs, and uh, and Wipeout Zeb did the did the same thing for me. I've made thousands of coon hunting friends all over the world. I feel like in any state that I've been in, I'd hunted, and my truck broke down, or my wife or my kids needed help. Uh, I feel like there's a coon hunter somewhere close around there. If they knew it or if I had their number, if we could get a hold of them, would be right there to help. That's that's what the, the coon hunting family is that, that I that I've seen. Yeah. In my life. I'd say if if you would listen to Lawrence, uh, we probably wouldn't be driving down the road right now. <laughs> you wouldn't have this dog in the back. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be hunting a mojo dog. Oh. <laughs> uh, this ain't a mojo podcast. <laughs> oh, I like Scott Engel, though. But I know what he's been winning with last two or three years. Mm. <laughs> well, I'd like to do another one, kind of about some of the, the other stuff later on after Zeb. You could, which y'all already done the wipeout story, but... I feel like y'all skimmed over Moose and Coy and Ruby and Zev again and Clayton. Wipeout Speck. We never mentioned him. Two-time world champion. Uh, a lot of dogs, because we didn't write nothing down. Just like me and you right here. There's not been one thing written down. This is all going by memory. I'm driving down the road with a microphone between my legs. <laughs> uh, Bush just trying to get me to talk about memories, and I, I can talk about them. I ain't forgot them. This is an everyday occurrence for us. I'm like my daddy. I can remember every story time I was three years old. Now, I may not remember what a 
did this morning, but I can remember <laughs> back in them days. Oh, uh, you don't remember what uh, what customer I told you seen that crew to? Uh, I remember after I told you three times last night. <laughs> I remember that hundred you borrowed off of me. Oh, I don't remember. Week. I don't remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but yeah, I'd like to touch base. Yeah, on I'll each be, on each dog. I'd be glad to. I've been working on Clay and Tam Young. I, I got, call my buddy Doug Jackson. You know, when I'm he's ready to kill me. Over working, me. <laughs> you know, Doug's as good a friend as I ever had in my life, and uh, talk to him almost every week. And we can talk for an hour. I mean, and not say the same things. Uh, him and Mike Ferguson, you know, Clay Young, is some people that I can talk to on the telephone. Um, you know, I've heard my wife say, I think you all just listen to each other breathe on there. <laughs> uh, but there's no, nothing idiotic when we're talking. We, now we have a big time to tell some jokes, but it's, uh, we have, I truly enjoy their friendship. Love talking to them. And I've, I've liked doing this going down the road. It's, uh, we drove a hundred something miles and then, don't even feel like it no so i appreciate you doing it and uh, i enjoyed bringing back the memories maybe my kids one of these days can listen to this know their daddy did something besides just work coon hunting right that's all he done coon hunting you asked michaela that's all he does <laughs> yeah 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 she says the same about you. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, and uh, maybe we'll both get lucky this weekend, and I win first and you win second. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. I, I, it's time for you to break the streak. I mean, it. I've been saying it for a little while, but I it, feel like my dog's been looking as good as he he had i feel as confident as i as i have in a long time with a dog i felt that way at the last pro hunt at ripley tennessee and my dog did operate he did do an outstanding job out there i don't feel as confident but i've went to a hunt and not feel confident and i still pulled out a handling way to win uh so i'm hoping that i've still got that maybe i'll have some luck but Coon, coon gods are still mad, mad at me, so. You know, man has hunted long as I have. He knows when his dog is on on the right track. He can still be treeing coons, but you know he's not right, you know, and, and you know when he is right. And uh, I don't feel as good about mine right now, but I'm going anyway. Mm. Uh, it's a memory. We got this done. That's right. So regardless anyways i appreciate it barry i appreciate the friendship and, and everything you do for me so maybe we'll have some luck and come back with a pocket full of money all right me too <laughs>